0: So I'm going to read the scripture this morning. It comes from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who let out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be a shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see everybody in person. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, I want to go ahead and let the other readers who've read the scripture so far, it's not fair that Bonnie got three verses um, in 2 Samuel. And uh, what's really uh, more interesting about um, that reading being three verses, um, it is um, what I discovered when I first looked at it um, of... Any of the three verses in 2 Samuel, these have to be the most packed with um, guidance and truth and so much depth for us. And um, so as we continue throughout Samuel, through Samuel, and this tenuous, to say the least, election season and very difficult year in 2020. I can also tell you the Lord has not failed through his word to provide hope and security in what has felt like a very insecure year. And I had one pastor friend of mine, I think I told you who pastors a multi-ethnic church in uh, Alabama, that he wonders whether his church, the church, not just his, will survive Uh, the divisive climate we are currently living in. With real enemies and adversaries all around, we are all kind of living scattered and scared and secluded, many of us, and in some cases, injured. Today's passage reminds us that we need, especially in times like this, and require more than a leader of our own choosing, right? That didn't work too well for Israel with Saul throughout Samuel we've already seen. They admit they, like us, need to turn to a king, an administration of God's own choosing, one that will gather us and lead us and rule us in this spread out and confusing space. We have all tried to better our communities and country and people groups and ourselves in our own power. And just like Israel, we failed to make it all happen without prejudice and negligence and abuse. If you feel like I do right now, I am completely exhausted trying to plead my own case to others who are powerless and too limited to actually give me comfort and grace and peace and justice. I'm exhausted looking within for the answers for all the issues and events that pop up in my alerts and in my social media feeds. I need a king. Israel here in the first three verses of 2 Samuel chapter 5, finally the Bible is communicating, finally have come to their senses and do three things I want to recommend for us today as well. First, they come to God's King. We must come to God's King. Secondly, we must submit to God's King. I mean, I'm sorry. Secondly, we must trust God's King. And finally, we must submit to God's King. Now, I know you have three points there on your screen, but we are only going to cover... first point and we'll come back the next week or maybe two to finish the other two right I really want y'all to get this especially as we head into November Um, and um, as I take some advice from my wife to slow down and really allow um, us to look deeper into what these scriptures are saying instead of doing something very long and complicated and hard to grasp. As we unpack these three verses, I want us to agree on what it means that David is God's king. This is not about who David is, being just a man, right? Who's a fallen sinner, but it's about how he was sent and chosen by God, to be God's means to bring salvation, God's salvation, to his people, right? David's role and purpose, want y'all to see this and get this, is to be a type, if you will, a prototype, the beta version, right? The, the, for display purposes only, right? A, a model of God's final and perfect king, right? He's an imperfect model of the man, who is and will be God, a very God, come to earth. And at the same time, who, like verse 1 says, is bone and flesh fully human, right? So David is pointing forward to a savior, a king who is very God, a very God, and very man, a very man, right? God's true, perfect, and final king, we Christians believe, is Jesus Christ. God sent holy humankind's king over all of humankind's temporary and and faulty civilizations and society and even innovations. King and head of a people who have declared, as verse 3 says, has covenanted with them, with the church, with believers. Together we have said the king is my king, that this king is our king. A king that has been sent for us first to come to. There is a telling video being passed around um, in social media threads among Christians, primarily done by the creator of VeggieTales. Was it the creator? Was it Bob Tomato guy? Phil, Fisher. Phil the who? Vischer. What, what role he play in VeggieTales? He's Bob the Tomato? Okay. And it was entitled, Why Do White Christians Vote Republican and Black Christians Vote Democrat? Right? And it was a very, it's an awesome video. It kind of takes a more historical approach on it. And in that video, it tells us that 93% of black Christian Protestants vote Democrat. 93%. While 81% of white evangelicals vote Republican. Republican. Yet he points out both groups remain biblically and spiritually conservative. Both groups claim Jesus as their Lord and King and Savior. Both have an active lifestyle and stake in the faith. Add to this, though, that approximately 86% of churches, of churches are what, 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 what would be described as racially segregated and segmented. Curious? Yes. Strange? Or is is this strange or new? Right? For people of faith? Is this a new kind of dilemma? When we look at Samuel, the answer is no, right? Because if you look at Samuel as a whole, if you look at the stories that go on in 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings, and and you continue the, the, the history walk through Scripture, before and even after this scene of unity of all the tribes coming before David, what do we read mainly about how divided and ununified the kingdom is in Israel? Periods where they even talk about of Saul's people backing him and David's people cheering for him in civil war and this tribe geographically forgotten or with issues that the other tribes won't help with or or fail to see is important and tribes not willing to, to, to be involved in the struggles of other tribes, right? You have isolated tribes and angry tribes and rich tribes and rural tribes and city tribes, mountain tribes and sea tribes and on and on. And throughout Scripture, you know what we see? We see them divided. And not acting, right? As as one over a multitude of issues and concerns and special interests and even histories of how one tribe oppressed another tribe and murdered another tribe and abused another another tribe and killed another tribe and on and on. But it sounds like our world and even our church today Especially how it's kind of been the last eight or nine or ten years. And it is easier to say and think, from this angle, what's wrong with God's people? I've had people come say, what's wrong with Christianity? I can't believe in it. Look at y'all, so many denominations, so many different people. Listen to y'all online. It could be a reality show. I'll never get bored watching Christians go at each other. What is wrong with us, right? Well, maybe according to this passage, it's more correct to say what is so right and good about God's king that they are all standing before him. Because I argue that the issue is not about us coming together horizontally. Right. In fact, just coming together, apparently, in the most recent studies, since multi-ethnic churches became more prevalent in the 2000s, the divide over certain social and political issues in worship continues. (laughs) And the divide may have even become that much more noticeable now that there are multi-ethnic churches. We must realize that we all come to the king, right? Bringing ourselves to him and laying ourselves before him. But this kind of division of tribes and, and issues and concerns is more about his kingship than our divisions. Look at verse 1. It says, All the tribes, right, has that phrase in there of Israel. And we can stop right there, can't we? Now, it does not mean that every person in Israel came before David. Five, six million, this wouldn't work, right? Now, it it does not mean therefore every person came. It means that as you look at the end of this in verse 3, it means that every tribe was represented by elders of those tribes before David. And in that all tribes came to David at Hebron. And then they say this. Real interesting. Behold, right? King David, behold. Look at us, right? We are your bone and flesh, he says, right? In verse, verse 1 and 2. In other words, look at us. We are yours. We are all yours. Look at all of us. We are many, and this is the tribe piece, we are many with many problems and many gifts. It means we are your kin, redeemed tribes, adopted by God, living all over the place. And you, our king, have inherited us as your people, and we have inherited you as our king, each of us. You hear that? Each of us is your one family or bone and fle- flesh mean? It means kinship. Which means this. It's God's people, as his children, with you as our king, we the tribes, you hear me now, we the tribes, each and every single tribe, are welcomed before you. Because of you, king David, because you've been sent by God, to this throne, there is space for all of us to bring and have you be the facing king over and for all we represent. You, We come before you with all we represent and come with all of our social concerns and ills and enemies and history and struggle. These tribes stand before him as the most important and valuable people groups to the king. They are God's people and God's children divided into tribes. And with that, it means, Lord, our king, behold, right? It says this. This is what it means. You see because you're on the throne. You must see us. We need you to see and in your position, we need you to hear and be in position and space to hear and take note of, notice of us and to behold our tribal concerns. Has one people. That none, hear me, be silenced or devalued or invalidated as we come to you. I'm not saying that maybe these tribes come with some messed up ideas and thoughts and selfish desires. But they are valid. Right, automatically in saying, God, Lord, you're my King. I am experiencing and feeling and seeing and struggling. We, our tribe, has struggled and experienced and dealt with either this poverty or being forgotten or living on the other side of the lake or or, or the river, rather, or living real close to the Philistines or living real close to the Edomites. Like, Lord, we need you, King. Help our tribe. But never silenced as less important than any other tribe before God's king. See, this isn't CRT. This is BRT, right? This isn't critical race theory, but it has been often accused of being so. No, this is biblical race theory. Where not all tribes have the same tongue or same journey or same path or issues. But each tribal group has a peculiar path to the same king. They are in the same position and their petitions, though they come with different lines of, of what's important and, and different bolds and different underlines. Their petitions stand equal before the king. You know what that means? We should not be busy trying to silence, put on mute, oppress, diminish, or invalidate other believing tribes when we feel the limitations in resources. And in our minds, the ability to reconcile it. Differences and non-essential to the faith philosophies. And even the sordid history between us. The Lord is saying, this passage is saying something incredible at Hebron. The Lord is saying, come, bring all of that. Bring it. Right? Don't, don't let guilt and history and race and culture and the past and abuses and insecurity or lack of safety or sin or struggle stop you. Bring it. Come with it before the king. Let him see it. Let him behold your history. Bring all the angles and feelings and takes on all that even 2020 has brought to for you and potentially your tribe and community and people. God's king, the Bible is teaching, is here to behold. That none is unseen or un or underrepresented before him. Think about this. Right now, right now. And maybe in another couple of hours, a few hours, there is a church in another country. Heck, right right around the corner, right now. Seeking and preaching God's King Jesus from the context of their own issues. Right? In the context of their own areas and spaces and histories in mind. And it is not belittled before the Lord. Because they are his and they are coming as his before him with their deepest and darkest concern. And here's the rub. It is not the same concern and issues and problems and exact hopes as another tribe. So it is not about bringing the same stuff in the same exact way and same emphasis. Some some are more concerned about theology and other social issues, but that we all as children are welcomed and invited to lay our issues before him. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna mention a name that's very controversial. Ready? Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as AOC, said this during confirmation hearings. Obviously from less a less evangelical denominational tribe, uh, denominational tribe than many of us are used to here, especially in the Bible Belt of the South. I'm with it. I'm, I'm from the South. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I'm in a conservative evangelical denomination. But she claims to be a woman of faith. Our sister, y'all. And I know the judgment and skepticism is flying possibly because of her approach to abortion and sexuality. But she said this, the only time religious freedom is invoked in the name of, is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. And I am tired of it. Now she went on to explain Jesus and did some exegesis of some things. Don't you know this is what she and whole tribes, if she's a believer, she claims to be, I'm not her pastor or her elder or whatever, but she claims to be. But that is what she and whole tribes of believers are feeling and and, and experiencing. And, 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 And they come before and should bring before their Lord and say, King Jesus, behold, I stand with the other tribes. And as you might have guessed, there are all kinds of responses Here are what threaded, I mean, response on Twitter. Here's the first two responses I read. They love the fetus, but they hate the child. One minus one equals zero. Their protestations amount to nothing. They fund minority school districts at an alarmingly lower rate than middle class districts. Middle and upper class districts have more than adequate connectivity for virtual learning. First response. And here's the second. No, she didn't. Right? She simply, sadly, displayed her lack of biblical knowledge and prejudice against Christianity. Christ followers have heard this tired old trope many, many times, and yet Jesus loves her. His grace is amazing. Both responses could be coming from believers. Right? What should our response be? Despair that AOC is in the faith and John MacArthur? Should, should we despair? Right? That President Trump holds up the Bible going in the church, right? And then Obama declares he's a Christian too. Should we despair? We should praise God for God's king, y'all. It's not about us. Our value is not at how close we are theologically or socially according to what we can measure to what and where we see or think the king is, but that we equally stand before and in him if we claim to be his and we declare him Lord and Savior of our lives. One of the issues in our voting system is this, and and we kind of put this on our Lord too, you have to not vote for something in someone when you vote for something in someone. Well, if you vote this, you're saying you hate this. And if you vote that, you're saying you don't like this. And if you vote for social justice issues, then it says that you believe in abortion, right? Like you pro-life, pro-choice. You can't be, like you can't get it all in one. What this is saying is unlike any other leader, political or otherwise, like the tension we feel in choosing, valuing one group over the other, forced by our bipartisan elections. God's king is over and seeking to redeem. Hear me, this is the miracle. All the broken issues, all the angles. And all his people. Remember the bone and flesh illusion they make before David? You, I'm talking to you out there. If you are his child and people have been, and you are people who have placed uh, placed under and in him with whatever you bring, you have a spot. He's not trying to make you a product that he can better love or use like we do to each other. No, you are the product that he has already chosen to love and use before you thought you were any good. I understand how many discussions I've had, even among the the leadership here at Christ Central, where we're just like philosophically and politically seem to be approaching issues from different histories, experiences and values. But here's the good news. We are on the same side of God's throne. Standing, saying, Behold us, King. We stand by grace because you sent a king who can see us. We've made Revelation 7, even in this church's history, prescriptive. Even in mission, vision, and values of this church. Yes, for us it is mission wise, vision, our values. And you know the verse. It says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing, it says. Doesn't this sound familiar to, to what you see in, in the Old Testament? That's why, y'all, if, y'all are, if you guys are coming down on a Bible, let me tell you, this thing is locked tight right, with, with, with the themes that, 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 you, that you see here, right? So you see the standing before the thrones, all the tribes in 2 Samuel, in the last book of the Bible. That's New Testament, y'all, right? Thousands and thousands of years later, it says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. What were they doing? Standing. Before the throne. And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, what are they all crying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's the issue I'm not sure we've interpreted this verse. Well, myself included. Because I think we go into it thinking there has to be like a, this sort of, oh, I don't want to use that word because that would cause confusion. Like, there has to be this sort of codified, codified tribalism, I mean, tribe among us, and that every church has to look like Revelation 7 right now. I don't believe the Bible is necessarily teaching that we all have to be this kind of church. But I do believe that if we are that kind of church, we better find a way to be that kind of church, right? It is primarily descriptive that this is what Jesus' kingdom actually looks like. And you know, you're kind of in your tribe. It's so multifaceted. If we were to cut the pie into a million pieces, oh, we're the American church tribe. Wow. How many tribes are in that tribe? Or how many languages and people groups are within that tribe, right? And sometimes you, you, it's a near impossible to see what God is doing in the church in Asia or the church in the continent of Africa. Or like, we, we don't always see it. Or even the church down the street. Yet this vision of Revelation 7 is the same, It it, it is living. It is happening. It's just not always happening under one roof. I think this is about how amazing God's King must be. In order to be Lord over every single one of us, of people who will never agree and see the same things while on earth, right? Agree what's most valuable. Agree on what's most important outside of the uh, non, I mean, outside the essentials of Christianity. You know, I think when I think about about Christ Central and I think about multi-ethnic churches, we're not the church that everybody should try to be exactly like. We are a type of many valid kinds of churches and tribes. We're the multi-ethnic church tribe. And I think that's what makes Christ Central Church so difficult. Maybe we're doing something we shouldn't do. I don't know. But if you come to this tribe, I can go ahead and tell you this is what's going to be like completely irritating, especially every four years. <laughs> It'll make you doubt your faith every four years. We're not just multi ethic we each come to Jesus from different directions and different places of heaviness and concern, and even within, I'm not even talking about skin color, I'm talking about socioeconomics, I'm talking about, you got a lot of people moving from New York and up north. I'm from, uh, you know, Kelly and I, Kelly from St. Louis, Missouri, big city, right, Midwest. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, right? Even though I'm from the cultural Mecca of the South. (laughs) Right? We got issues. We don't agree on how to approach certain things or talk about certain things or see certain things, even in racial issues, even in social justice issues. Our approach is different, and we married and supposed to be one in Christ. It is irritating, even for us, every four years. Let me tell you, it's harder in this setting. You know why? because it's easier to overhear the voices of others praying to their Lord. It is easy to hear, wait a minute. Are they valuing that? Why aren't they valuing this? My prayer is this because I'm biblical. Why is their prayer that? And what we do is we run interference, y'all. We intercept sometimes what people are bringing to the Lord so that we can make it fit more of what we are praying and hoping for from the Lord instead of encouraging intercession. Right? And here's why we do it. We view our inability, and I said this before, to reconcile those folk to what we think is orthodox Christian thinking. We base it it on our ability to make it work. And we aren't really putting much hope that the king who hears them has the power to change their hearts. You ever wonder how you got where you are? Cause you're smarter? Cause you made the right choice? Cause of your heritage? Nah! Plenty of people cause of heritage and wisdom got rejected by Jesus or failed to, re- failed to follow Jesus. Remember the rich young ruler? He was a good guy. The Bible says, hey, he came up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I am what you're looking for. I know the law. I grew up in the church. I'm rich. I'm successful. I prayed for my wealth. God honored my hard work. I'm what you want. And Jesus says, a very socially messed up thing. All that you worked hard for, all that you've deserved, all that you've earned, give it to those poor people who didn't earn it, who didn't deserve it. Those poor folk who, who, who didn't listen in school, right? Who didn't follow biblical principles because that's how they saw it back then. Give your money to them and follow me because I'm most important, right? The Bible says he couldn't afford it. He walked away sad, right? Right? What are we talking about? Lord, you see me. My life is before his view and he beholds it. He is beholden to my tribe and my people as much as any others and vice versa. And then out of that we say, therefore I can't and shouldn't have been and won't tolerate any mistreatment of where I stand in Christ or who I am and how I stand as this child before God's king and therefore I won't stand for any mistreatment of others who stand in Christ. Because it's not About our ability. It's our king's ability to reconcile all things. Here's some good news. You are not on the throne. (laughs) You're before it. Like everyone else. I remember we went, where did we go, Kelly? Universal Studios. And we got one of them special passes where you can cut the line. I loved it. I felt special. Like, everybody in line for the ride, me and Kelly. Got the pass. Right? We going in. I loved it. They were like, who's that? Is that kind of a movie star or something? He looks like he could be. <laughs> or at least she does. Yeah. Sorry. I missed it. Dang. I missed the chance there. Guess what, y'all? We all standing in that long line. (laughs) Yeah. But we're special because we get access to the king. Imagine getting there and everybody had a tag. You know what you would do? Why did I pay for this tag? (laughs) If everybody gets one, I think that's the way we treat each other. Like, I worked real hard to understand God. I sacrificed in following Jesus. And they get a tag before his throne too? And what's funny is everybody thinks that. Everybody looks at somebody else and not them. Do you know what they believe? Do you know what they think? Do you know how they live? No. And Jesus says, yes. Hear me. Other believers of other tribes are not your problem. They are Jesus's joy in dealing with. They're his joy and embracing and calling you and me to care for it in other ways. And trust me, we're going to get to other things. Like this, these three verses are packed. And, so, and I know how people worry, wait a minute, he's teaching universalism. Or is he teaching we don't have to follow what the Bible says? No, we're going to get to that. Right? The fact that we have to submit to the king. So there are some things that each tribe is called to submit to. And it is his word and his truth. And we'll get to that. This is a call to prayer. To multi-corporate and individual prayer. Are you praying to the king more than criticizing fellow prayers? Why are we so focused on each other? We're spending more time looking around the throne room instead of looking at the one on the throne. It's time to exercise your call and rights with confidence in Jesus, our King, hearing and seeing us. In verse one, it says this, we are your bone and flesh. If there was something extraordinary that God would represent himself on earth in a human king. That's incredible. And remember again, David is a prototype of the plan God had for his people for us, right? We, we now have in Jesus Christ. God made sure we knew and that Jesus embodied you hear this? And felt in his bones and flesh, you and me and all of us, that he was united to as kin, as a part of, hear me, each and every tribe. That he was black and white and Democrat and Republican and liberal and conservative, as part of his identity, he embraces us. That's what the incarnation of God meant. God's king, our king, has come on the divine campaign trail for all of us. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to where we live. And like a perfect candidate, he truly and completely felt all that we felt and suffered on the cross, all we could suffer and experience and was tempted like we could uh, possibly be tempted and suffered shame and guilt that only you and I could experience that as our representative between heaven and earth, That he and his body were beaten and torn and rejected and mistreated with prejudice and injustice and guilt and poverty and arrogance and ignorance, all the things between us and each other and us and the Lord, he suffered. That even today, get this, after his resurrection, he continues, the Bible says, to be burdened and bear the burdens we may have. He took the throne. Unlike how many take it today. Not so he can be the man. He was already God. God's throne, and we will see different aspects of it next week, but God's throne is the place of intercession. Hear me. Whoever sits there is there to take on all the cares and concerns of God's people. Jesus took the throne so that he could be in a position to see us all, to behold us all, to be in a space that we could bring ourselves to him, to hear us, to hear our prayers, so that we can all behold him as our king and he could behold and be beholden as our king. You ever wonder what Jesus' prayer life is like? Because the Bible says he still intercedes for us. His prayers are the prayers of all. Wonder what his prayer life is like? Listen to your own. He prays for all of us. He intercedes. He takes our request. What are his top issues? What are your top issues? And it's not that he may agree with your results or your solutions. But we have a king who cares. So come to him. Your king. Our king. And quit fighting each other. Before we come before the throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how disturbing it is that we can't be more right or righteous than any of of your other children. (laughs) More righteous, rather. That we all stand clothed like the revelations in white, justified by faith, sanctified by faith, Not because we get it better than the next person. Because you've you've gotten us and you've gifted us with wisdom and you've gifted us with some things. Help us, Lord, just as an exercise of humility and therefore reconciliation between each other that we would look straight up at you that we would come straight to the throne of grace, right? The throne of mercy for the issues we have, whether it's this issue or that issue or, or see this social injustice, Lord. Help us not to put that weight and sacrifice necessarily on others, but help us to bring it to you. And then help us to believe. You see it and you see it well.